your home is important. For many, that means having an NVR system. NVR stands for Network Video Recorder. Basically, it's a hard drive that captures terabytes of data from cameras the homeowner has installed around their property. One NVR vendor had a zero day, and naturally criminal hackers found it and didn't report it. Instead, they built a botnet. A botnet is a web of infected devices, and this includes Internet of Things devices such as security cameras. The botnet can be trained on a single site to create a distributed denial of service attack, or it can be used to exfiltrate data. Researchers at Akamai nicknamed the botnet infected slurs. They did so because the researchers discovered racial epithets and offensive language within the naming conventions used for the command and control domains associated with this botnet. Nice. Botnets are just one example of how bots are used. And remember, bots are just scripts. And scripts can be used to, say, go to a website and scrape the prices off of a competitor, or go to a website and scrape information, such as building an index or building a database of information. And bots can actually be very destructive when you're trying to buy, say, tickets at Ticketmaster. There are also good uses of bots. Either way, good or bad, bots, they're here to stay. So that means we need a way to handle them. And in a moment, I'll talk to somebody who's doing just that. I hope you'll stick around. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from the makers of Mayhem Security. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Famosi, and in this episode, I'm discussing the rise of bots, actionable scripts that can slow your day-to-day -day business, be enlisted in a denial-of-service attack, or even keep you from getting those tickets to Taylor Swift. Okay, first, I want to thank everyone for listening to The Hacker Mind. This episode coincides with the Hacker Mind achieving 500,000 unique downloads. That's a half million total downloads over the lifetime of the show. That's quite a milestone. Whether this is your first episode, hi, or your 85th, hey, how's it going? Or perhaps you're back and listening again to an episode you've heard before. Thank you, thank you. This accomplishment would not be possible without you my loyal listeners. So if you like The Hacker Mind, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and continue to share episodes with your friends. And maybe if you could write a review on your favorite podcast platform, I'd be humbled. I truly want to thank you, my listeners from over a hundred countries worldwide. I want to pledge future improvements to the show as we climb together toward 1 million downloads, hopefully in 2024. All right, so let's get started with episode 85. Around the time of Black Hat USA 2023, I was pitched a story about how bots could be both good and evil. Intrigued, I reached out to the expert. Hi, I'm uh, Antoine Vastel from uh, Datadome. Uh, so Datadome is a security company that uh, protects uh, online businesses 
against bad bot attacks like uh, credential stuffing, DDoS attacks, payment fraud, etc. And so I'm I'm leading the threat research team. So the the goal of my team is really to uh, improve the quality of our bot detection engine. Let's talk about a definition of what we're calling a bot. Okay, good question. What's a bot? Uh, basically, a bot is a, a program that you can use to automate tasks on the web. And here we are not talking about, you know, uh, like chatbot. We are talking about program that will try, you know, to interact with websites or mobile application. Most of the time, I would just say websites, but basically it can be applied to uh, mobile applications as well. And basically, a bot is a program that will try, you know, to I don't know, like uh, get a product page, add a product to the cart, make a login attempt, etc. And so it it can be used for good purposes. For example, companies like uh, Google are using bots to index the web, the web, and make you know uh, the content of website searchable, which is uh, good for all of us. But you can also use bots to scale attacks, to you know like make thousands of login attempts and you know, steal user accounts. So here we need to get into the nuances of all that. There are botnets and so forth, and we'll get to that in a moment. But there's also good uses for bots. For example, Google's using it to index. And I'm wondering, how is what we know as a spider crawling the web different from a bot? Yeah, so what we call spiders crawling the web, scraping. Basically, like scraping is a is a type of, I'm not necessarily going to say attack, you know, it's a, it's a bit blurry, depends on the perspective, but basically... What it means to do scraping, it means that you made a bot that's going to uh, like go on a lot of pages on the website and get the content and uh, index it or make it available through an API or store it in a database. Then if you're a company and you're providing value to the website that you're scraping, no one is going to complain, which is the case with uh, Google, because they are helping companies uh, you know, drive uh, real human users to their website by products. So in this case, uh, most people would agree that you know Google is uh, doing good bots. But if you are scraping uh, competitors, you know, doing thousands of requests every minute to get all the prices in real time and adjust your price, your pricing strategy, most people would agree that it's uh, it's bad for them, and so they would like to block your bots. Okay, so in this definition, a bot is actually doing something. It's not just scraping information; it's acting. Yeah, so the bot is doing something, but you know, bots are developed by human users and they create these bots for, for a reason. So for the moment we discussed, uh, you know, scraping, but it can be anything that you want to automate. So here again, a bot would be doing something such as using compromised computers to launch a denial of service attack. Yeah. So for example, like, let's say you want to make a, a DDoS attack. You need to have access to a lot of IP addresses and devices because uh, you want to distribute it uh, to make it look like it's coming from a, a lot of different devices to avoid the traditional, you know, blocking techniques like rate limiting or geo-blocking. So what you can do uh, is use the, you know, if you have a, a botnet at your disposal or if you are, if you can pay for it, then you may be able you know, to use this botnet to trigger a lot of requests to a single website. Probably you want to target a, an API you know, that, uh, that is really costly for the website. So maybe something like an add to cart, you know, something that generates a lot of read or a lot of writes or updates in the backend. Yeah. Hmm, this sounds familiar. I was one of those people who was sitting there on the Ticketmaster site for Taylor Swift, 
waiting for my chance to purchase, then seeing all the tickets vanish in seconds. I had no choice because I'm human and I was up against these bots. So I'm wondering if we can dissect a little bit what was going on behind the scenes, what was going on that I couldn't see. Yeah, so when we talk about ticket masters and all kind of, you know, ticketing uh, websites, we are talking about scalper bots. So scalping is basically, uh, you know, it's a bot that aims to buy limited edition products or items. And actually, you know, the the oldest uh, scalping bots were already targeting, you know, ticketing websites. Uh, nowadays, they target a lot of other products like, you know, uh, GPUs, uh, during you know the uh, craziness of uh, cryptocurrencies, they were targeting NFTs. But so scalper bots, what they will do is that uh, you develop a bot, and it will monitor you know every time if a product is available. So here we are talking about you know uh, uh, concert tickets. But that's not all. Before that, you may want to create a lot of fake accounts because I think in case of uh, you know uh, Taylor Swift and Ticketmaster, they probably implemented some sort of uh, purchase limit per account, something like maybe you can't purchase more than two tickets or four tickets at once. So what you want to do as a bot uh, developer, uh, if you want to buy a lot of tickets, first thing you will do is you will create a lot of fake accounts on the platform, maybe a few days, a few weeks or months ago, uh, before, you know, to anticipate, to stay under the radar and avoid your accounts, uh, having your accounts being banned. That's not that easy because if you want to create a lot of fake accounts, you know, you need to be you know subtle in the way you do it. You you want to use a good quality Gmail uh, accounts. Maybe use different kind of patterns. Maybe you will need a different kind of phone numbers that you need to validate. So it's, it's not that easy. And then uh, on D Day, uh, you know, like uh, okay, you know that uh, today, you know the the, the tickets are going to be sold. You will start a bot that's going to monitor uh, every second, you know, to be sure that you know the the tickets are sold uh, are being sold, and then whenever it's ready, you are going to uh, throw all kind of sophisticated bots that you know studied your website, your APIs uh, for weeks before, and that are going to make you know the perfect sequence of uh, API calls in a few milliseconds, and they will be able to buy, you know, thousands of tickets. Uh, they will automatically, you know, validate a credit card transaction or, you know, whatever, you know, uh, things you're using to pay, like PayPal. And as a human user, you know, maybe you're like, okay, I'm using my computer, I'm using my smartphone, my tablet. Okay, I have, uh, you know, three accounts. Okay, maybe uh, you, you, you want it to increase your chance, but you're, you're not even playing the same game. You are competing with a bot developer that's creating thousands of fake accounts. And, you know, that can operate in a few seconds. So not just Ticketmaster. Bots can influence, say, cryptocurrency. I'm wondering, how does this play out in the crypto world? So, you know, at the time, NFTs were popular, which is not really the, the case anymore. But at the time, they had a, a value. Uh, people, you know, were trying to uh, buy really uh, limited edition uh, NFTs on marketplaces. Uh, and so, you know, they were using uh, scraper bots to monitor when an NFT would go on sale and uh, then buy a bot using, uh, using uh, buy the NFT using their bot. So these bots, they can use social media profiles. They can create fake accounts or use dormant accounts. How are the bots being used in social media then? So in case of social media, like it's more difficult for us to say, like it's more like supposition or what we observe from attackers because we are not protecting uh, social media. But basically what you can do as an attacker is you can create a lot of fake accounts and you know, uh, use them to uh, provide services that offer uh, 
following uh, followers, likes, views. Basically, you, if you search for you know fake views, uh, fake likes, Instagrams, or fake views, TikTok, or fake followers, whatever social media you want, you will see a lot of services uh, where you can buy. I don't know, like for maybe uh, I don't remember the the price exactly, but you you can buy likes for I don't know, like dozens of dollars. And uh, if you want to do these kind of things, uh, you need to uh, use bots to automate these kind of services uh, at scale. So bots, they can like and they can even promote something higher. But can they respond? Can they actually post? Yeah, basically, you can do everything you want. Uh, if you look at the main services provided, most of the time, uh, you will find services for likes, follows, uh, these kind of things. But you have a lot of people that are using bots to conduct uh, scams, uh, automatically send messages to people, you know, click on this link or promote, uh, you know, drop shipping uh, like products on, uh, you know, uh, on a lot of groups at once. You know, they are basically exploiting the APIs of these uh, social media to uh, scale uh, their operations. So we briefly touched upon at the beginning some positive uses for bots. There are some positive uses, right? Yeah, so because this is a good question, like bots are becoming more and more sophisticated and not necessarily because bot developers are smarter. I'm not saying they are not, but uh, like what happened is that there, there has been a lot of development uh, around bots. Like in the past, you know, it was really difficult to make the perfect bot, uh, you know, today uh, you can use headless browsers, you can use automation frameworks that provide you with, you know, a browser that is uh, almost the same as what a real human users would use. And this browser, like the, the most used one is a headless Chrome and it's been developed by Google. If you're a developer and you don't yet know about headless Chrome, it's a generic browser from Google that lets you see how your website or applications look. Check it out. So a few years ago, uh, Google developed the V0 of headless Chrome. And it was like a revolution. Suddenly, you know, you could create a bot using a real browser, but you know, it was headless, so it's less costly to run. Uh, you can run it on any operating system. And at the same time, they provided a framework to, uh, you know, instrument your bot using high level APIs. It was a dream. Uh, like, you know, okay, I want to go on this page. I want to intercept a request. Wow. All of a sudden, it became really easy. The bot had all the features that, uh, you know, a normal Chrome would have. So, you know, you could browse any website, your bot wouldn't break because of uh, compatibility issues. And like a few months ago, they released new headless Chrome. So like the, the former version was slightly different. Uh, it was slightly different than the real Chrome, but it was almost the same. But like the latest version is the same. It's the same code base on the same branch or on your, on their, you know, code repository. And people were debating on Hacker News, like, but why is Google providing this kind of weapons? And, you know, it's like with knives, you know, you can use it for bad purposes, but you, you also need it to cut your meat. <laughs> and so it's really useful for a lot of people to, to test their website. Uh, that's the main use case. The reason Google released this kind of uh, features for free is because they want people to uh, be able to develop websites that work on any kind of devices. And if you want to develop push a lot of new features, you have a lot of developers, then you need to be able to test your website with the same browser than what your users use. And, you know, that's, that's the main reason they developed uh, Headless Chrome, not because they wanted people, you know, to make bad bots. Automation, 
I, I want to be clear with the audience that when we use automation in something like, say, Zapier, what we're doing is we're stringing together if-then statements. Would that be what a bot is doing? Mm, that's a good question. Like, there is a, a blurry line, you know, like, are all bots bad or not? Like, like you're using Zapier, and uh, probably the website, uh, you know, they have an API that integrates with Zapier so that you can, you know, chain you know, okay, if I receive uh, this uh, a message containing this word in Gmail, then uh, automatically create, uh, I don't know, like uh, an invitation in my calendar. And you can do it easily with Zapier because uh, there is an, an API that uh, makes it possible. So some people will, will, will use bot for uh, good purposes, you know, personal purposes, but that are not, uh, you know, they're not trying to break a website or steal something, you know, maybe... I mean, let's say tomorrow I want to automate something on my uh, bank account. But uh, at least in Europe, it's quite difficult to obtain access to an API. They provide it only, you know, to a, a huge financial company. So I could be tempted to make a bot to, I don't know, make a small transfer uh, using a feature that's not available. It's not bad, but probably, you know, the bank would try to block these kind of things because they can't really know the intent of the person uh, until it's too late. So not all bots that are doing automation are bad. I would say it depends more on the intent, what you are really trying to do. APIs. Now, that's another piece. That's like, if your company has an API, a bot could do certain things with the data that's exposed. If a company didn't have an API, well, I guess a bot couldn't do very much. Okay, so talking about APIs, uh, like... Let's take the, the example of uh, Twitter or X. Uh, I, I will still refer to them as the Twitter probably. Uh, but basically uh, what happened is that they were like, oh, there are too many bots. Uh, we'll uh, make the API uh, private. Or first, I think they wanted to make it uh, paid. So you had to pay. People don't want to pay for something that used to be free. So what happened is that people started to make scrapers, you know, to uh, get, um, you know, tweets or interact with the website without, you know, uh, paying for the API. So even if there is an API, uh, if you have to pay for it, some people will still prefer, you know, to use the, the free solution, which is uh, do your own bot. And then when we talk about APIs, we need to keep in mind that there are APIs that are, you know, expected to be used by uh, HTTP clients. So tomorrow, I don't know why I'm creating an API. For anyone to, uh, you know, let's say you have a server and from your own server, you want to retrieve uh, the latest news. You you may create an API and uh, generate a private token so that you can control or rate limit what these people are doing with your uh, API. But then on your website or mobile application, most websites and mobile application, the way they are developed is that, you know, you have a front end and the way the front end is, uh, you know, uh, displaying dynamic content is that it will make a lot of small API requests to your server and, you know, uh, dynamically update subset of your uh, page. But this API, you, you may not want uh, everyone to access them. You know, you probably just want a real human users going on your website, interacting with it, you know, the normal way to use them. But the thing is that because it's pu a public API, you know, uh, because it's, uh, I mean, that's how the web works. If you want your website to be able to make a request to your uh, API, Anyone could look in the dev tools or using a proxy, intercept the traffic and, you know, replay the request or modify them. And so in this case, it's more blurry because like you, you didn't intend this API to be used by uh, bots or by HTTP clients. You only want human users to use it from their browsers.
So we've defined some good uses and some bad uses of bots. How can we manage the bots? And how can we prevent some of the bad stuff from happening? When you read the discussion on Hacker News on Reddit, most people are like, ah, oh, this is so easy. This is a data center IP, just block it. Oh, this is a foreign IP, just block it. Just use this capture or just use a hidden link. You know, bots are stupid. They will click on your hidden link. No, okay. Uh, like the, the way most websites or mobile applications are handling bots is using uh, what I would say, like traditional uh, techniques. They are using WAFs. They are trying to block bots statically uh, using signatures. They are trying to uh, block bots using uh, IP-based rate limiting. Like if you are making more than 50 requests per minute, I will block you. Captcha is an annoying pop-up with multiple boxes that says you have to select only cats, except you can't clearly see the image as it's presented. So it gives you yet another and another. You get the idea. Captcha, even recaptcha, doesn't really work in my opinion. There, I said it. It doesn't work. And Antoine explains why. They are using captcha. Traditional capture, like uh, recapture, for example, that everyone knows, you know, where you have to uh, select uh, fire hydrants. And this does not work. Even capture, uh, it doesn't work. A lot of studies have been published lately uh, about the fact that bots are better at passing capture than human because either they are using, you know, image or audio recognition techniques. Sometimes they are even using the APIs provided by Google to break Google recapture. You know, every two or three years, you have a presentation like this at Black Hat. Or they are using captcha farms. So basically, you have an API that enables you to, uh, you know, ask someone uh, somewhere on Earth to solve the captcha on the behalf of your bot, and it will respond with a token that you can use to make it look like you passed the captcha. So this technique, they, they look, you know, uh, effective, but it's not the case. They are mostly painful for human users because if you are using a VPN, you know, you will get blocked if you are slightly too, uh, you know, uh, refreshing your page a little bit too much, maybe you will get blocked. If you are coming from another country, maybe you will get blocked. And bots don't care because bots can use proxies, for example. Nowadays, it's really easy to use a residential proxies. So proxies that whose IP belong to, a, you know, an ISP like Comcast, AT&T, Verizon. So you know, if you if you want to avoid rate limiting, you just use several proxies. Like, okay, the threshold is 50 requests per minute. Okay, when I reach 49, or when I'm blocked, okay, I use another IP by using a proxy. So it's it's not even painful for them. You know, it's uh, one line of code. Same for CAPTCHA. Uh, I mean, either they integrate with CAPTCHA farm services or, you know, they do the solving themselves. But if you use a CAPTCHA farm service, it can be something like, $3 to solve 1,000 recapture. So it's not that much if you're trying to steal user account, for example, or conduct scam, if you have a way to monetize your bot. Okay, so how can we actually protect against bot? Uh, I said all the way, the, all the techniques that uh, do not work, but uh, I, I would say the first thing is to acknowledge that, you know, attackers are way more skilled than, you know, uh, the techniques we are trying to use to block them. So one of my favorite topics is digital forensics. Did you know that when you visit a website, that site can get a lot of information about you, such as which browser you're using, the dimensions of the screen, the operating system, and so forth. As I discuss in The Art of Invisibility, a book that I co-wrote with Kevin Mitnick, there are ways to spoof these settings, but there are also ways to detect that as well. Uh, you know, when it comes to bot detection, a bot is basically an HTTP client 
you know, it could be a browser, a real browser, or a Python script, or a Golem script, making requests to your server, and it will try to appear human. To appear human, they can try to solve any kind of, uh, you know, signature, fingerprint, uh, browser fingerprint, TLS fingerprint. They would try to uh, generate fake mouse movements. They would try to use clean IPs. Uh, they would try to use everything, you know, to appear more human. So on the bot detection side, you need to leverage all the signals possible. So in general, when it comes to bot detection, uh, you have the fingerprints. So you want to collect sophisticated fingerprints uh, in JavaScript or with the SDK to detect side effects of automated browser. So if you are using headless Chrome or if you are using a Puppeteer, Puppeteer Extra Stealth, you will have side effects that can be observed and that are not present uh, if you are browsing the web as a human. So you want to develop special JavaScript challenges that can detect that you know someone is uh, you know automating his browser or is using a headless browser. You may want to detect virtual machines, for example, like some humans can use them, but it may be a interesting signal. Like if someone is pretending to be on Windows, but you detect that you know the virtual uh, you're using some code, like you are asking to draw some shapes, for example, uh, geometrical shapes, and you notice that you know this kind of signature is linked to uh, Linux. Okay, this kind of inconsistency can be helpful. Then, of course, you want to study the user behavior. So you want to leverage the behavior of the user to know if it's our real human users who behave on your website. When we talk about behavior, uh, most of the time people are thinking about mouse movements, uh, scrolling events, uh, typing on the keyboard. Yes, that, this, this is really helpful. But then you also want to study, you know, the sequence of HTTP requests, the browsing patterns, the you know, the the, the graph of requests. Is it consistent with what a human user would do? So, for example, are you doing an add to cart before even viewing your product? This kind of thing, but more complex with a more dimension, of course. And then, I would say uh, contextual signals. You want to use a lot of context. These are a lot of weak signals like the time the request was done, the country of the request, uh, the age of the session, uh, the type of IP address, was it used as a proxy recently? And it's easier, uh, I mean, in our case, you know, we are protecting a lot of websites and mobile applications, so we have a global view of the web. So we can better understand, you know, uh, what an IP address is doing on different kinds of services. And this helps us, for example, to fine tune uh, the aggressiveness of the detection. So I would say then you need to combine all of this because attackers will try to lie about all of these signals. Uh, you know that we know uh, that's the case, and so the idea is to have different layers of detection that uh, leverage different kind of signals using different techniques, different time frames, different uh, aggregations. So, for example, you may want to study the behavior uh, at, per IP per session on the whole website to ensure that you know you are looking at the data in every dimension because attackers are trying to lie uh, you know, on everything. So it's important to do it. That sounds like a lot of data. So I'm wondering, is this all done in real time? So in our case, yeah, we do it in real time. Uh, that's the, the challenging part because in real time, you need to be able like, okay, do I want to uh, block, uh, challenge, send a captcha or allow request? And you have something like two milliseconds to take a decision here. Yeah. And how does this play out within an enterprise? 
I'm curious how one might convince them that they should be concerned about all of this. What sort of risks do large enterprises face from bots? Sometimes it's easy. Uh, you know, they, they feel the pain, if I can say, and, you know, they need to do something because otherwise they can't even operate. So, let, for example, if we talk about scalpers for ticketing, what happens is that uh, the day Taylor Swift is selling her tickets, there are so, so many human users already that, you know, the company has to... Uh, Add more servers, so it's costing them money. Okay, but the thing is that when, once you start adding uh, all the bots on top of that, it's like a sort of DDoS attack. Suddenly, you have spikes of traffic made by really sophisticated bots from all around the world. You have no simple way to block them, and if you don't do anything, your website can't even operate. We are not talking about you know giving a chance to human users. We are talking about having a website running, and in some situations. Like the, if you don't do anything about the bots, they will just, you know, completely slow down your website or make it unavailable. So even people that are not interested in Taylor Swift tickets won't even be able to buy anything. Or maybe you are, you are going to a concert, you need to load the ticket on your smartphone and you can't even load it because the website is unavailable. So in this kind of situations, customers are well, uh, or prospects at the time, they are well aware, you know, of the problem and uh, the idea is to quickly block it. But sometimes companies are not really aware, you know, of like, like you may not know that you have bot on your website uh, because, you know, they may not be too aggressive or maybe you don't have the right metrics. And so what we propose to do when it comes to bot detection or security in general, all vendors will tell you, oh, we have the best detection, we are the best. And, you know, as a, as a buyer, okay, uh, anyway, let's try the product and uh, I want to see by myself. So th that's what we propose. Uh, they can really easily integrate uh, our server-side module in their CDN, in their load balancer, in, uh, in their server. And then during one month for free, they can monitor what's going on their website. So they can see all the traffic and we label it as bot or human. We don't interact with it. We aren't blocking anything, but they can get an idea of, you know, oh, is it, uh, oh, uh, do I have scra uh, scrapers? Have I bots, you know, testing stolen credit cards, these kind of things. So to disguise themselves, bots have slowed themselves down. Like, if you're doing things out of sequence or they're doing things too perfectly, well, that gets flagged. Yeah, this is a really good question. So as you can imagine, you know, bot developers are studying Datadome. We are studying bot developers. <laughs> it's not a secret, I can say it publicly. And we subscribe to different kind of services. And what we noticed on some bot as a service, so what we call a bot as a service, basically it's a service that you can uh, you can use to make bots using an API. So let's say I want to scrape uh, the content of a page. I will contact the API of the bot as a service, and then it will make you know a request on my behalf. So it will use proxies. It will forge fingerprints. It, it will try to forge captcha. But as the end user, you know I just need to make an API call, and I only pay if it's successful. So it's really convenient. So we like to study this kind of services because you know these are professional uh, you know attackers. Let's say. Uh, and so, you know, they, they, they're not going to stop uh, easily because uh, their business is uh, to bypass uh, protection. Is there a conscious effort to root out the bots to make it look more like it's a human on the other end and maybe do some random things here and there? So we study some of them and what we observe is that on some of them, for example, let's say you were trying to, OK, I want to scrape uh, this page like uh, on a real estate website. I want to get information about uh, the price of this house they wouldn't go directly to the URL you want. Instead, they would slow down. They would, you know, go on the homepage 
And then they would browse on random links, but then they were going on term of services pages. And you know, it was really suspicious because no one is reading a term of services. And so we did several tests and we noticed that, oh, there, there were there were you know suspicious patterns of, of people you know going from the home page to term of services to real estate pages. And so we know that they try to uh, to be slower sometimes because it may be the smartest thing to do instead of you know trying to go fast to what you really want. So yeah, they, they are trying uh, things like this. <laughs> One thing we haven't talked about is the elephant in the room. I'm talking about AI, or what people think is AI today. How might bots be used with AI? Everyone is looking for human-generated content, basically to train uh, you know, these large language models. So it started with uh, ChatGPT uh, version 3, you know, the, the one where everyone was uh, amazed. Like, wow, <laughs> it's going to be a revolution. And at the time, you know, they explained how they were collecting data. Uh, they were using mostly open source data set. 60% uh, of the, the of their training data come, came from the common crawl uh, bot. So this is a bot that is scraping the web and making, you know, a huge uh, archive available as a S3 buckets, I think, or, you know, maybe there are other formats to it. And then came uh, ChatGPT 3.5, ChatGPT 4. In parallel, you have uh, Google developing Bard. And, you know, the more uh, competition there is between, you know, these providers of uh, large language model, the less transparent they, they are about, you know, how they obtain this data. Because at some point, everyone wants high quality human generated data. So what we started to do was to play with uh, plugins, uh, ChatGPT plugins. Uh, because one of the main limits of ChatGPT uh, is that you know it can't uh, get live data. You know, it. Uh, I think there was a recent update where you know the the last information it has is uh, 2022, but before it was 2021. So let's say you want uh, information about uh, the latest movie or latest uh, bas basketball game. It's not possible. So people started to develop plugins to uh, you know get live information on the web and uh, directly ingest them in uh, you know um, in ChatGPT. And so we studied uh, some of the most popular plugins uh, that you know provide these kind of features, and some of them are already trying you know to be less uh, obvious uh, about the fact that they are bots. Some of them they just say okay I'm a bot, but others you know they start changing their user agent, start adding you know proper uh, headers, etc. And I think it would be even worse uh, for training data because we see a lot of company, uh, companies raising crazy amount of money. They need to get their end of high value data. Some websites like Twitter, like Reddit, start to understand that there is money to be made with their you know, user data. So they want to provide APIs <laughs> to monetize it. But as, as I told you before, people are not necessarily going to pay if there is a simple way to get this data. And a lot of them would prefer to use bots uh, to get this data. So it's really, like, if you want to monetize your content through an API, it's really important that you protect it. Uh, otherwise, people are not going to pay for it. They're going to make a lot of like random API calls on non-official APIs, and uh, it may be worse for you. But with an API, how would you protect that? You've basically opened up certain parts of the data, and you're sharing the stuff out. How do you keep a bot from abusing it? Oh, you, you, so basically what you will do is that you will have a several uh, 
paid plans. Like, you know, uh, if you pay, uh, I don't know, $100 a month, you can make 1 million requests. And then, you know, the price increase uh, depending on the number of requests you want to make. But because you can authenticate the user with a token, then you can control, you know, what they can access. But people, most of the time, like that's what we saw on, uh, you know, on Twitter. They didn't want to pay, so they started making a lot of bots, and it was even worse because they didn't care. They were they were not even rate limited uh, by the API. They were using a lot of bots, making a lot of requests from different IPs, and it slowed down the website so much that at some point, you know, Elon Musk said that okay, we are going to rate limit everyone, uh, and I think the threshold was like 500 tweets a day. I, I'm not a Twitter addict, or maybe am I? I, I don't know, but uh, you know, I, I got quickly rate limited as a human, and uh, you know, it, it significantly impacted uh, the uh, user experience, and it didn't really solve the bot problem on Twitter. So, right. So rate limiting that would be one way of restricting that process. Yeah, that that's a way. But uh, I mean, what I said before is that uh, if you want to rate limit, you can rate limit per IP address, but then bots are going to use another IP address. Right. If you use a user account then bots are going to create a lot of fake accounts. So then you have another problem. So finding the right way to, uh, you know, uh, to rate limit someone is really challenging. And on top of that, if you are too aggressive, you will also, you know, rate limit your real human users. And as a company like Twitter, you know, your business is to show ads. And, uh, you know, if people can't see more tweets, they will leave your platform and come back later or not. But then you can't show more ads, so you are losing revenue. So you need to find uh, the right balance between, you know, controlling bots and, uh, you know, uh, making, uh, making you know, uh, money by showing ads, for example, in case of Twitter. So my background is in malware. I remember when the solutions were keeping abreast of the bad guys and the bad guys just modify their behavior and change it up again. And suddenly your solutions didn't work as well as they did before. Is that what's happening here in the bot community? I think it's going to be a persistent problem because as long as there is an, uh, an incentive, you know, for people, uh, you know, attacking the websites, uh, you know, like let's say you're a company and, uh, you know, you rely on data that are protected, that, that, that are public. I, I'm not talking about stealing uh, private user data, but maybe you want to scrape a website every day to adjust, you know, your price in real time. As long as it costs you less to scrape the website by paying proxies, developers, than it enables you to win money by having a better pricing strategy, you're probably going to continue. As an attacker, let's say you want to, uh, you know, steal a lot of user accounts, uh, I mean, to conduct scams, to steal, uh, to uh, sell them. As long as, you know, your roundtable, you will probably continue to do it. So, like, we'll continue to uh, adapt on our side because I think people in front of us are not going to stop. <laughs> I'd really like to thank Antoine Vestel for coming on the show and talking about the rise of bots. This is such an underrated threat to enterprises that they might not even realize the drain on resources that malicious bots may pose. And as a customer, we certainly know the damage it can do. We've all been there. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, tell a friend. I bet there are others who like commercial-free narrative infosec podcasts. I have so many stories about hackers who are making a positive difference in the world. And be sure to check out Error Code, my new podcast that focuses on IoT and embedded security. Error Code is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Let's keep this conversation going. DM me at robertvamosi at infosec.exchange on Mastodon. And tell me what you like and even what you don't. 
Hey, I have some great conversations coming up, such as how GitHub Actions had a vulnerability or how your EDRs can be used by malicious forces in a living off the land attack. The threat from China and Vietnam and more research on the dark web and ransomware. Subscribe today. The Hacker Mine is brought to you every two weeks, commercial-free, buy-for-all secure. The makers of Mayhem, an application security testing solution you can try for free at mayhem.security. For The Hacker Mine, I'm Robert Famosi.